Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Good morning. My name is Mike. And I lead Freedom Ministry here at Waterhouse uh, with my wife, Kim, and I lead men's ministry. And I'm nervous. I don't like to read. I like to talk from my heart, but I have to read this morning. So that's still something I'm dealing with with the Lord from days gone by. So Revelation 1, 9 through 20 is what I'm going to be reading. Would you stand with me, please? I, John... Your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God for the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore these things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, And the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for making a way when there wasn't a way. You made a way. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving us enough to take all of our junk. And all of our inabilities and all our insufficiencies and everything that that we bump up against that that is not you. You took that. You own that. Thank you for taking it. 
Thank you for loving us enough to sacrifice your life for us and to give us an eternal promise that we claim is ours, Lord. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You have a seat. Thank you, guys. If you're standing back there, maybe you can find a friend and sit down with them. Nice full house this morning. Thank you for being here on a rainy day. God bless you all. So good to be here. Uh, Are you ready to dive into Revelation this morning? Some of you are. All right, all right, all right. So it's been a fun journey. Uh, Before I get in, I want to give you a quick couple things uh, before we dive in today. Uh, If it's your first time here or you've been here for a while, we haven't got to connect with you, we would love to do that and just get to know you. So in the chair in front of you, there's a couple QR codes. There's just one QR code. If you scan that, it's going to have a couple items for you. One's going to say connect. If you can just uh, click on that, fill out that electronic form for us. Uh, we're going to send you a gift in the mail just for doing that. We want to pray with you. We want to answer any questions you have about the church and also just uh, helps us to serve you. And so thank you for that as well. Uh, another thing on that is we do, not do, uh, we do not do offerings during service time, but there's some boxes in the back if you uh, want to give your tithes and offerings toward the back back there at any time. Also, you can scan that QR code to do that as well. And so that's all the announcements so far this morning. And so we're going to dive deep into this. You know, last week we talked about who Jesus was and what he's done. Um, the book of, that we're studying is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a revelation of him, but it is a revelation from him as well. So he's, he's revealing something about himself to his churches, but he's also revealing something that the churches can hold on to in terminless times, in times where there's uncertainty. And as a church and as people right now, we live in times of uncertainty. You know, we don't know what's certain, but we do know that uncertainty is certain, right? We know that there's always things that we're not going to understand or there's things that are happening and we don't know why. But we as believers can hold tight to the fact that Jesus has it all under control. And this is why this book and this letter was written to these churches because during this time there was intense persecution. All the other apostles have been martyred or killed and John is now the only one left. We talked about that last week. He's on this island of Patmos and he hears this voice from about from behind him like a loud trumpet And, and it's calling him and it's telling him take some pen and paper write this down it's important because the church is going to need this moving forward the church is going to need this as we move into this and so today i pray above everything else that you get a fresh revelation of jesus christ not only who he is and what he's done but the attributes of him who holds everything together he is the one that as this passage said is in the midst of all of the churches. It's a beautiful picture of what he does. This morning I was praying for some churches in the area that that I have friends that pastor in those churches, and I was just asking, Lord, in light of this, God, walk among them. Lord, let your presence be known among them. Even in this church, let your presence be known among your people. And I I pray that today that you have felt his presence, that you know him. And today, if you've never had the, the, the immense love of Christ overwhelm you, I pray that that happens today. But hasn't already happened. And so today I want you to know that, that we don't have, we don't have to be fearful. We can move forward. This is why this letter is written. And John here is about to open up a little bit more about Jesus. Jesus is revealing something to John that the church needs to carry with them moving forward. And I want to kind of walk through this passage with you, if that's okay. We're going to kind of take a, uh, a, a verse-by-verse approach to this letter so we can understand some of the imagery in it. Uh, of, of, this, of this man of Jesus that, that John sees? Like, what are all these weird images? What is, what's all this? Uh, how do we make sense of this? And, and how do we move forward? What do we do with it? That's the biggest thing. What do we do with this? 
you know, as believers, what do we do with this? And so this is why we're uh, approaching the book of Revelation in a practical standpoint. Like, how can we take it home? How can we hold on to it for ourselves in this face? And so John opens up the letter in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom of patient endurance that are in Jesus was in the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John is probably... He is in Patmos. He's probably living in a cave at this point. Patmos was a penal, it was a uh, was a uh, was a prison colony, and so this is it was like the Alcatraz of the Roman Empire, right? And so they just haul these people that they're unwanted off into this island. He's probably living in a cave here, and, and so he is writing to these people. He has faced the tribulation. He has faced hard times. He understands what it means to be cast out, to be tried to kill, to be tried to, to, to be martyred. To, to, for, for, he understands what it means to lose people that you love. And this is what he's saying to these people moving forward. I'm a partner with you in this. You're not alone. I understand what you're going through. You're not alone. But I'm also a partner with you in the kingdom. As believers, we have a better kingdom. This isn't, our own, this isn't the kingdom we look forward to, right? Our hope is not in any king or kingdom. Our hope is not in any government or any entity. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I'm a partner with you in this kingdom. Hold tight. And because I'm a partner in this kingdom with you, you can patiently endure. Man, I wish I could take that out of this letter. I don't like to patiently endure. Right? He says, I'm a partner with you in patient endurance. John is even waiting for these promises that Jesus said was going to happen. And he's saying, you need to patiently endure. It's been now, looking forward to this time, it's been 1,991 years since Jesus left this earth. And we're, here we are waiting, and we're saying, okay, Jesus, when are you coming back? I've been patiently enduring. We've been patiently enduring for this minute of time. When are all these things going to happen? But he's telling us, look, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But, but during that time, during all this stuff you face as a believer, you need to endure patiently. And, if, and, and you need to endure these things so you will not fall back or give up on your faith. And so he's telling John this the same thing. John is telling this church this same thing. I'm a partner with this. I understand what you're going through, and you can endure patiently. And so, believer, above all else today, I pray that you can learn to endure patiently. I can endure for a while. I can be patient for about 10 minutes. But to endure patiently is not fun. When things aren't going right and things aren't going the way you want or things happen the way you, the, 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 in a way that you didn't expect them to happen, it's hard to endure patiently. It's hard to, to truly hold on to those moments. But John is about to write, and Jesus is writing to the church to remind them how they can endure patiently because it's not what's against them, it's, for, it's who is for them. And Jesus is revealing something about his nature to the churches. And so this is, this is the vision, verse 10. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Well, what does the Spirit mean? Maybe he was worshiping in the Spirit. Maybe he was worshiping. But this Lord's Day is a Sunday. So these believers back then, they would go to synagogue on Saturday. They would honor the Sabbath. But then they would go on Sunday, and they would honor the Lord's Day. And so they would have... They would have uh, the Eucharist or they would uh, the, the Lord's Supper. They would pray. They would celebrate the Lord's resurrection. But at this time, they've all been kicked out of the synagogues. They've been kicked out. And so now they all practice on Sunday. They come and they, and they, and they meet on the Lord's Day. And this is where this comes from. He says, I'm, I'm meeting on the Lord's Day. I'm on the Spirit. I'm worshiping like I would normally worship. And I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, 
Write what you see in a book and send it to seven churches, to Ephesus, to to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Imagine him sitting in a cave, like minding his own business. He's worshiping the Lord, and then this loud voice like a trumpet comes. How many of you have been in band and know what a trumpet sounds like? Right? You know what that section is because they're the loud section, right? If, if you have, if parents, if your kids are learning trumpet, I feel for you, right? Get them one of those little mufflers, right? The trumpets are loud. They, 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 they trumpet. They, they are loud and they get your attention. So this voice gets his attention in this moment and he's saying, this is important. You need to write this down. Write it to the churches because they want, they're going to lose faith. They're going to lose hope if we don't get this letter to them. So he's writing to these churches. And notice, I want to have a picture of the, of the route here that, of these churches. It's, this is on purpose, right? The Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These seven churches is the mail route that's going on in the Roman Empire. So Patmos is where John is. And so he writes a letter to all of the churches, they get every copy of this. So Laodicea knows Ephesus' business, right? And Ephesus knows Laodicea's business. And so they're reading these letters uh, about the churches and trying to give them some hope. And, and so it's going on. So it goes to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. This is the mail route for these churches. These churches are strategically placed right here, and they are a light to these areas in Asia. And so Jesus is writing to the churches in Asia. You're under immense persecution. You're under immense pain. But I have put you here for a reason. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep pushing forward. Know that I am for you and not against you. And so this is important. We're going to talk about this a lot during this study. So maybe take a picture of that. Remind, remember where these churches are strategically located as we dive into the rest of the letters to the church. So he's writing this letter, and here's the picture of the vision that we're really going to break down today. So Revelation 12, 16. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven gold lampstands. But in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like white snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refining in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, did John see these as they were? I think in the spiritual way, he did. But as we read this, we see the likes, and it's in the likes that we need to understand these things represent something. Like, like this, this man is standing in front of him. John's not sure if it's Jesus or not. It looks kind of like Jesus, but not really. Have you ever had those moments where you're next to somebody? You're like, I think that's that person, but I'm not sure if it's that person. One day I was at Panera Bread, and I was drinking my coffee, and I was writing some, some notes, getting ready for a sermon. That's my quiet place, so you can't go there. On <laughs> It's my quiet place. But I'm just kidding. You can go there. And I'm sitting there. And, and I'm looking out of the corner of my eye. This guy looks very familiar. He's in regular clothes, though, very plain clothes, uh, looks very common, but his face looks very familiar. I'm like, man, that guy looks like somebody. And I'm sitting there, right, and I'm looking at him, and he's typing on his, his Mac, and I don't know what he's doing, but there's nobody else around him. I'm like, that guy looks like somebody. Who is it? I'm like, Toby Mac. <laughs> that guy looks like Toby Mac. 
And I'm like, that could be Toby Mac. And I'm like, it looks just like him. But, you know, I've been to his concerts. I know what he looks like in that kind of realm, I, you know, with the lights on him and the, and, the, and the smoke and all the people around him. And sometimes you associate people with who they're around, right? Have you ever run into somebody at the store and they're not with their spouse or their kids? And you're like, I know you, but I'm not sure I know you, right? Because you associate them with the people they're around. And I'm looking at T-Mac, right? And I'm like, this has got to be Toby Mac. This has to be him. And I want to talk to him, but I don't have the courage to talk to him. Like, what if he's not? Maybe if I start singing Jesus Freak, he'll, like, start rapping their lines, and I'll know <laughs> it's him, right? And I'm like, I know it's Toby Mac. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at him, but I never engage. I never really go out and ask. I mean, I, he, it could have not been Toby Mac. It could have been somebody who looked really like Toby Mac. But I didn't take the moment to go ask, to go make that relationship with him, because the only knowledge I had of Toby Mac is what I listened to on his, on, his, on his albums and the songs that he sings and maybe a podcast that I listened to. But, but if I would have really got up close to him, close enough to hear his voice and to see his face and to see his eyes and to know him on a personal level, my view of him would have changed. My view of him would have, would have been a little bit different. It wasn't Toby Mac the singer. It's Toby Mac the person. It's, 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 it's Toby Mac who wants to have a relationship with me, and maybe you sign my hat, right? <laughs> and, and, and I missed out the opportunity to get to know him. It would have made my day. Here's the funny thing. Like, I was in his presence, but I didn't know him personally. That'll preach, right? I was in his presence, <laughs> but I didn't know him personally. Like, I was, I was five feet from him, but he never heard my voice. I never heard his voice. And I think for many believers, that's our relationship with Jesus. Like, we're in his presence all the time, but we don't have a personal relationship with him. And we don't even realize he's present. We're like, is that you, Jesus? I'm not sure if it's really you or not. I don't know if I want to step into this. But he is there. And come to find out, Toby Mac was in the area, so it could have been him. And Jesus is always with you. And so this is what we're talking about is as John opens up this revelation of Jesus, this vision of the risen Lord and our King and our Savior, but also our high priest, we need to realize that. And this is what he's opening up to in this church. I mean, in, in, to you and to me. And so if we want to get this in one word, I have one word for you in a sentence. This whole passage of 9 through 20, it's this. Jesus is our ultimate high priest, and he is always with his church. So if you don't get anything else today out of all the images and all the stuff that, that I talk about, get this. Jesus is our ultimate high priest, and he is always with his church. This is what this vision is trying to get across, that Jesus is our ultimate high priest and that he is always with his churches. And so we're going to break down this vision. So the first thing that John sees, as soon as he turns around, it's not this image. He sees these seven lamps, lampstands. And, and, and notice what's among the lampstands. This, this, this image, this person is standing amongst the lampstands. And we see later in this passage that the lampstands is the churches. And many times in Scripture, many times in Revelation, the, the mystery will be given first, and then the revelation of that mystery will be given later. And so there's many times we're reading through Revelation, like, what is the, you know, what is the seven lampstands? What's the seven churches? What's the seven stars? What are all these things? Many times... 
the Lord opens up what those are, and he says, this is what they are. This is what they represent. And so there's no mystery in that. For other things, it's pretty unclear, but, but we can go back in Scripture and use Scripture to interpret Scripture so we can understand some of these images, these odd images, and so we can understand them better. So that's what we're going to be doing while we're walking through this, this vision of Jesus as, as the high priest. We're going to use imagery that's already been revealed, but also imagery that's in the Old Testament and New Testament to get a better understanding of what these things represent. And so the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the seven churches are important, but what's more important is the position of the person among the churches. So what's a lampstand? For some of you who do not know, in the tabernacle and in the, in the temple, there was in the holy place, there was what we call a menorah. It has seven lamps on it. But this is not like seven lamps. It's seven lampstands. So it's a little different. But in that place, that, that lamp would give light to the whole room. And so this is why in Numbers 8, the Lord tells Moses to build these, this lampstand. And so now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He set up the lamps in the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. And this was his workmanship of the lampstand. He hammered it and worked from gold from its base to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern of the Lord that that the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Now, just a quick thing. Maybe you read through Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and you get bored. And you're like, what does all this mean? This is all weird stuff. Why does it matter what color things are. Why does it matter that the things are made out of gold or silver? What does it matter that these things have to be in order? But notice as you're reading those books how the Lord puts them in direct order. He tells them exactly how to make it, exactly the dimensions, exactly how to make it. Here's why. Because everything in, in the temple, everything in the tabernacle represented Jesus Christ. Everything was a type and a shadow of the unseen world. And so this is why he tells him very specifically how to make these things. And so that's just some bonus for you. But it's not, the lampstands are important, but it's not all about the churches. It's, it's what, who's standing among the churches. And this is the Son of Man. So what is the Son of Man? We see this in Scripture a lot. Uh, some of the prophets would be called the Son of Man. Some other people would be called Son of Man. It does represent people. It represents somebody going on behalf of the Lord. But in this case, it's, it's the one known as the Messiah, the, the Son of Man. And Jesus even calls himself the Son of Man. In John 9, 35 through 38, he says this. So Jesus had just healed this man. They asked him, who healed you? He's like, I don't know. I couldn't see him when he healed me. But you want to know this Jesus? And the Pharise- it's a funny story. The Pharisees get mad and they try to kick him out. But then Jesus hears about this man trying to be cast out of the synagogue, and he comes here in verse 35, and he talks to this man that he healed, and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Again, referring to himself as this. And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He knows him to be the Messiah, the anointed one, or the Son of God. And Jesus is making this claim that he is he. So Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And, and then the man that was blind now sees, says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This is very vital, this worship part, because angels will not be worshiped. They do not allow you to worship them. Only God can be worshiped. And Jesus claimed to be part of the Godhead, and he accepted worship. This is very important. I, got, I have a couple other passages for you, Daniel 7, 13. But 
He is the Son of God. He is the one that was standing there. But John didn't realize it was him until the very end. I really don't believe that he knew. He's like, you look familiar. Maybe you're my old friend, Jesus, but you look a whole lot different than this Jesus that walked with me on this earth. He had been risen in power and strength, and now he's standing there before him, and he's dressed for work. So he's dressed in this long white robe and had a gold belt around his waist. And so what does this represent? Well, there's some different viewpoints on this. I'm going to give you some different viewpoints so maybe you can understand, because they're not wrong, but I think that when, when John is writing this to the churches and Jesus is revealing something about himself to the churches, he's revealing himself as a, the high priest of the church, the head of the church, the authority of the church. And so there's some viewpoints that say that this long robe that he wore was um, like uh, a robe of authority. Yes, and that is true. Jesus has all authority. He has all power. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, undisputed, right? Heavyweight title champion of the world. This is Jesus. Okay, and so they're not wrong. But back in the Roman days, the longer your robe was, the more powerful you were, the more important you were. And so Jesus' robe goes all the way to his feet. And so this is saying I'm all authority, all power, right? That's not a bad view. And, and, and to some extent, that is true. Also, we, but if you look at, at, at the passage, you want to see it as the priestly robe. The priest wore a white garment, a white robe, and they also had a gold sash, but actually had gold, um, gold threads in it. This sash that Jesus has is fully gold. So this is, he's the ultimate high priest. But we also see this description of the robe and the vest, or of the belt in Daniel 10, 5 through 6. It says, I lifted my eyes, this is Daniel speaking, and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold around, and from a fauze around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude. Now, some disagree with this, but I agree with the fact that this is Jesus speaking to Daniel. The, the, it is him that has come to him. And see, if we see Jesus as the ultimate high priest, that he is always working. He is dressed to work. He is ready to work. He is, he is in it, and he is among his churches, always working, always there, always present, and so if we see this vision of him as the high priest, then we can understand the rest of this vision a little more clear. And so it goes on. He sees him dressed for work. He sees him as the high priest in the clothing of the high priest. And then he notices the hairs of his head. They were white like wool, like snow. What does this represent? Well, people with uh, white hair, we know them to be wise, right? And so, so God is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. And so among the churches, he gives ultimate wisdom, but it also a symbol of purity. Jesus is pure. He cannot be made unpure. Because Jesus is pure, everything he touches is pure. And so as he walks among the churches, he gives wisdom to the people, gives wisdom to me and to you and those who are in the church, and he purifies them. He is the pure one. And so he is the ultimate wisdom and ultimate purity. The book of James, James tells you, if you lack wisdom, ask for it, and he will give it to you without finding fault. Jesus is full of wisdom. If you need wisdom, come to him. He will give you wisdom. If you need purity in your life, come to Jesus. He is the high priest that can make you pure. This is, this is who Jesus is. And we see another picture of this, uh, his hair like wool and like snow. Daniel 7, 9. Again, Daniel says, I looked, 
Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is God the Father. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. Awesome picture of who God is. And so we see this picture of, of Jesus as one with all wisdom and all purity, perfect wisdom and perfect purity. If you need wisdom today, just ask. He gives it to you without finding fault. And then he goes to this image of eyes of fires. He's looking down through this person. He starts at the top and he looks because his eyes are on fire. You know, for us, as we say so there's fire in their eyes, it's something like they're crazy. They're like got a little crazy look in their eye, right? Like there's some fire in his eyes. You better watch out. Like super passionate, super pumped. And look, Jesus was, is very passionate about his church. He died for it. He died for you. He died for me. He died for the church. But these eyes of fire is, is more about what he sees, his gaze. His gaze is fixed on everything. Just like when you hold a torch or a flashlight, you're seeing what's in the darkness. It's being illuminated. There is nothing that he cannot see. He sees all things. His gaze is fixed and piercing. He sees through every motive, through everything. And when he judges, he judges rightly because he knows it all. He has he has no unkept information about your life. He sees the motives in my life. He sees my heart. He sees the things I think about. Yet even in that, man, I was just thinking about that during worship. He knows everything about me, but he still loves me and accepts me. Wow. I don't even know everything about me. There's things about me I'm learning every day. But he knows all my motives, and yet he still loves me. Psalm 30, uh, whoops, sorry, I skipped the passage. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. So he's always looking throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. His eyes are there to give you support. He's seeing what you're going through. He knows the pain in your life. He knows the struggles that you're going through your life. He sees everything. He sees the injustices. He sees the things that, that, that will even come against you. He sees those things. He is not unaware of your pain. He sees the pain in your life, and he's there to give support to you. But as the rest of this passage says, I've got to take it in its context, you have done foolishly in this, for from now on you'll have wars. So these, this, this nation of Israel had forgotten that, Jesus sees, that God sees everything. They thought they were getting away with stuff. But they can't get away with anything. You can't get away with anything. Because Jesus' eyes are like fire. They see everything. Every, wherever he looks, darkness flees. Psalm 33, 13, I love this one. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. That's you, that's me. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the earth of them all and observes all of their deeds. Like I said, there's nothing hidden from him. So he walks among his churches. He walks with all authority, all wisdom, all purity, and he sees. It's like he's watching each church, seeing what they're going to do with what he gave them, making sure they're, they're following his ways, making sure he's with them. He's always watching. He always knows. He knows every motive, every intention, every, every bad theology, every bad doctrine. He sees it all, and he's judging, and he's going he's gonna to judge us for how we do something with that. And so we have to pay attention, church, that we do not lose faith, that we endure patiently, knowing that he sees all that you have. Sometimes you're like, Lord, you even see what's going on in my life. He sees it. And you can endure patiently because he walks among you. 
He walks among me and with me every day. He walks with you every day. You just don't realize it. And then he's looking down at his, at his eyes and he sees his feet. They're the feet of burnished bronze. What does that mean? What is feet of burnished bronze? We see this in the book of Daniel, but it's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about a nation. But bronze was the strongest metal back in that day before iron was discovered. And so bronze was a very strong metal, and it had to be refined for it to hold its strength, refined. And it had to be refined through a fire. And so his feet were, were refined through a fire. And his, his, and, and his feet were like, uh, were firm and unmovable. It was the strongest thing. Like Jesus for the churches is unmovable. He is firm. He will not move. Nothing can remove him. Nothing can replace him. Jesus is the head of the church, and he will always be the head of the church. And in that, I can find hope because he is my firm foundation when everything is shaken. He is the thing that I can hold on to when everything else is, is going wild. I can come to Jesus, and I can trust that he will not be moved. And he will, he will be with me forever. But also, how beautiful are his feet. They're polished bronze, burnished bronze. This passage isn't really talking about this, but it's worth bringing up. It talks about the beautiful feet of Jesus. Isaiah 52, 5 through 7 says this. What is this? Asked the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? He's asking them, why did you go back to this? Those who rule them shout in exultation. My name is blasphemed all day long, but I will reveal my name to my people. This is Jesus. And they will come to know its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings the good news. How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. How beautiful are Jesus' feet. He always brings good news. He is the good news. And so we can hold tight to him. But also notice that it, was, that it was refined through the fire, as refined through fire. This tells me that Jesus has walked through fire and has come out refined. Like the things that tried to wipe him out and take him out could not do it. And he stands now victorious. And for me, that gives me peace and that gives me hope because I know that he walked through it all. Jesus, as, um, when he walked this earth, he went through all the things that we go through. He understood what it means to be hungry, to be without, for people to reject him, to spit on him, to kill him. He, he knew what it meant to have loss. He knew what it meant to have people betray him. He understands. He walked through the fires of this life, and yet he came out victorious. And so I can trust that he's going to walk with me through fire, and he's going to take me through these things because he will not be burned. And not only that, I will be refined by these things. Jesus is not afraid of the fire. He's not afraid of your junk. He can walk through it with you. And I'm so glad that he does. So I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what fire you're facing. But Jesus has walked through it. And he can pick you up and he can walk you through it. This is the God I serve. This is the priest that serves his churches. So what is this voice that he hears? It goes on to say, his voice was that of many waters. What is this voice of many waters? Have you ever been to the ocean or been to somewhere, a sea with rocks, not a nice beach, but with rocks that the, the water crashes against? Well, I can imagine John, as he's sitting in, in Patmos, he knew what the sound of crashing waves was as the waves crashed upon the rocks there in the island. 
and he equates the voice of this, of this person, of this messenger here coming as the voice of many waters. And I don't know about you, but when I go to the ocean and I stand really close and I hear the water crashing onto the rocks, that is the only thing that I can hear. Everything else is ambient noise and it kind of fades into the distance and the waves just start soothing my soul. And Jesus' voice is like the voice of many waters. His voice echoes out and washes away everything else that's trying to speak life, speak death into you. He is always interceding for you. It's constant. Just like the ocean is constantly moving, constantly roaring, constantly speaking. Jesus is constantly interceding for his people. He's constantly washing over you with his words. And being close to Valentine's Day, I find this passage very good for us. Because as he washes over his church, men, we are to wash over our wives. It says here in Ephesians 5.25, because this is the writer, Paul, of Ephesian church. He's revealing Jesus Christ as him as the head of the church. So this lines up perfectly. That's him, the high priest. This is his job as the high priest. And he's telling husbands and wives, look, this is your relationship. How, God, how Jesus is with the church, this is how your relationship should be with each other. And so Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives. Okay, we'll start there. Right, love your wives. Then he goes on, as Christ loved the church, as he loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her or make her right, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This speaks of Jesus constantly washing us with his words, constantly getting us clean, constantly making the church beautiful. And you may be thinking right now, well, the church doesn't look very beautiful. We're separated. We're not united. Some of us have gone apostate. Some of us have decided to to take other doctrines and, and move them in. But I'm telling you, Jesus is always washing them over. He's always cleansing. He's always making them holy. And I, I pray for, for, for people that have, have gone astray that they would come back to know him completely. That all the churches would be one again. That all the churches would be united under the flag of Jesus Christ. Jesus is washing us with his words. So husbands, what are you speaking over your wives? What are the words that come out of your mouth? Are they words that wash? Are they words that build up? Is it the word of God you're speaking over your wife? Or is it frustration and anger and rage? Come on, I'm a guy. Look, that was my language for a long time in our marriage. There was a, a pastor named Jimmy Evans. He's done a lot of marriage stuff. And he talked about this passage. And it made him realize that he wasn't fulfilling his job as a husband to wash over his wife with God's words. He was saying, my words are more like a fire hose that was knocking her over every day. My words would come in and just push her down and shove her down. Men, our job is to wash over our families with our words, our kids, our spouses, the people we walk into. That's all of us. All of us should have words of life. That's Jesus. And then he goes on to see, and he sees these seven stars in his right hand. What is this? Well, obviously at the end it tells him what these are. These are the messengers to the churches. Now there's a lot of uh, disagreement on what these messengers are. Some people think, that they are actual angels, which makes sense because you see in Scripture a lot of times stars represent the angels, right? Uh, we see this in, um, I'm way ahead of my notes here. We see this, did I write those down? 
I did not. I'll get you those. Oh, oh yeah, I did. It's right there. It's right in front of me. So in Job 38, you see, you see that. And then also in Revelation, it talks of that, that when Satan fell, like a third of the stars fell, a third of the angels fell. And so that, that, that's a good view. I mean, that is a good view, that they are actual angels from heaven that go to the churches. So, there's, so to me, that tells me that at, at the very least, there is a guardian angel over every church. And that gives me comfort. Knowing that God is, has an angel that watches over his churches, over his people. And, and, and I do believe that there are angels. I do believe that there are angels that minister to people, and that we have our own guardian angels, and that the churches have angels that watch over them. But in this context, I want to make a different view, and it's one that I've been studying that I've kind of changed a little more to. But before I get to that one, I want to speak of another one that's it makes sense, but it, it's not really, I don't think, what it is. Because you're probably going to go home and Google a lot of stuff about Revelation, right? And, and here's what you're going to find, some weird things, okay? So just, that's okay to find weird things because then you can explore it, right? But here's something I found on that. It, they, they believe that these stars represent the actual seven stars in the heavens that, that, that they could see with the naked eye. So this was the moon, the sun, Venus, Mars, Mercury, Saturn, and I'm missing one. Jupiter, yes. So the seven stars. And so the same, he holds the seven stars. Like He has the power and authority over those gods of the Roman Empire, which makes sense because he's riding to the churches because the Roman Empire is like coming after these people. So, I mean, that makes sense. And in actuality, Jesus does hold the stars. <laughs> he created the stars. He put the stars in orbit. So, yes, he does hold the stars in their place. But I, I want to think that this is really talking about the church leaders to those churches. Because in those moments of intense persecution, when the church is, is being, uh, uh, trying to be annihilated, what is the first thing that people go after? The leaders of the churches. And so maybe, maybe Jesus is trying to get the point across to these pastors or these, these leaders of the church, like, I've got you in my right hand. There's a passage that says that I uphold you with my righteous right hand. And for me, that gives me comfort as well. Either viewpoint gives me comfort. That, that, that there's an angel that's assigned to the churches, but also that leaders of the church, Jesus holds them in his hands. And then he sees this awesome thing, a sword out of his mouth. Did he actually see a sword coming out like doing this? I don't think so, but it is representative of, of who he is and, and what he is to us. He sees this sword coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Isaiah 49 says this, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from far afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. Sounds familiar, like a Christmas story, right? Because this is Jesus. And he made my mouth like a sharp sword. Jesus said what? I come not to bring peace, but a sword. His words cut. His words get to the soul. His words pierce. Jesus has his words, if you've never opened the Bible and it hasn't cut you in some way, you're not reading it right. And it's good. It's surgery. He's not just hacking away. It's precise. Jesus is a master swordsman. He never misses a strike. And so because of that, his word cuts deep. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about the word of God. He said, a sword with two edges has no blunt side. So the word, it cuts both this way and that. The word of God has edge all over. It's alive in every part and in every part, keen to cut the conscience and wound the heart. 
Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, the discerning of thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of those to whom we must give an account. You know, forgive me for being a pastor and not just now noticing this. As I was studying this, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is good. Because not only is this the word of God is living and active, talking about the written word, but it's also speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word, right? John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so I was reading this, not only does this word cut, but Jesus' words directly to us cut. Because it goes on to say in the same exact, uh, in the same exact description and in the same exact thought, he says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight. Whose sight? The word sight. No creature is hidden. He sees all things, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes to him to whom we must give account. Again, this talks about Jesus' fire in his eyes. We're going to give an account. He sees everything, but his word is there to, short, to cut and to make sure that everything is growing the way it's supposed to. He cuts off everything that does not produce fruit, right? So it may produce more fruit. He cuts off. He gets rid of things. So let the word get rid of things in your life. There's so many things that when I've read the word of God, I'm like, man, I need to get that out of my life. There's no fruit in that. There's no life in that. So he cuts off the things that do not produce life so that things that do can grow. So let his word speak to you this morning. And then he notices the face that shone bright as the sun. This speaks of Jesus' glory. We see this on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 1 through 2, where, where Jesus takes some disciples. They go up on the mountaintop, and his face, he, he changes and his, his appearance is bright, and he's, his clothes are white, and his hair is white. His face is shining like the sun, and, and the disciples are in awe because Moses is standing there, and Elijah is standing there, and Peter's like, hey, man, let's make some tabernacles. Let's make some tents, and we can all hang out forever up here. This is awesome, right? Of course, you know the story. Peter's brash as yet. God always rebukes him. He says, no, it's not time. But this, this speaks of this moment, and maybe John at this moment says, I've seen that face before like that. And he sees him, but even more bright, even more glorious, even more full of light. And notice the picture that is being drawn here through this vision. The brightness of his face, his clothes pure, pure, pure linen, and his hair white as snow, fire coming from his eyes, his, his, his feet glowing like burnished bronze, stars in his hands, lamps with fire all around him. What a bright and illuminated scene. I mean, how amazing. I mean, you, you probably don't have, you have to have sunblock on probably being there. It's this beautiful view where there is no darkness. There is, it's only pure light. And John writes in his letter, his first letter, John 1, 5 through 7, he speaks of Jesus as pure light. This is the message we have heard from him who claimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say a fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from all of our sins. John is saying, in him there is no darkness at all. 
In Jesus, there is no darkness. Jesus chases the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome Jesus. And you may be in a dark place right now. You may be in a place where you feel like Jesus can't get to. But I'm telling you, he can get to you. His face is shining bright like the sun. All you got to do is turn to him and look at him, and he will light your way. What does the word say? The word says that, that the word is a light into my path and a lamp into my feet. It shows me where to go. Jesus is the light for the believer. We follow him as John says. If you're not following in the light, then you're not following him at all. We are to walk in the light of Jesus. He is the one that shines so we can walk by his light. It's not our light. It's not our lamps. We're just the lampstands. It's his glory. It's his kingdom. He pursues the darkness. And so with this vision of this person here, John is in awe, and it kind of comes to this climax here in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I'm dead. (laughs) I'm afraid. But then he, this person, lays his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I think in this moment, John realizes exactly who this is. And it wasn't his voice that made it real to him. I believe that he, like, that voice sounds familiar. But as soon as Jesus touched him, I believe he knew that that was his old friend that he walked this earth with. And that he, in that moment, was given peace and given hope. And I'm telling you, sometimes it takes a touch to give you comfort. Words are not enough. Some of you are walking through these moments right now where words will not do. You need a touch. I'm telling you, the touch of Jesus will give you more comfort and more peace than you'll ever have. It's only in his presence. He is close enough to touch you. I pray that you let him. He's walking among his churches, and he's touching people's lives. It's beautiful. And he says to him, fear not. Fear not. I am the first and last. I have the keys to death and the grave. I want to tell you now, if you fear Jesus, you have nothing else to fear in your life. Not one thing. Because he is the ultimate. He holds the, he holds the keys. He, he reigned victorious. He took the keys and he now has a say-so. He's the one that determines who, who goes and who stays. He's the one that determines who lives and who dies, who, who, who stays in heaven and who goes to hell. He is the one. He overcame it all. If he is for you, then what can be against you? Nothing, not one thing. He overcame the grave. He overcame it all. And it says, because of that, write these things that you have seen that those that, are, that those that are and those that are to take place after this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that are in my right hand and the seven lampstands, the seven stars of the angels and the seven lampstands of the seven churches, he's saying, now go take this message to these people, that I am walking among them, that I am the high priest that you need. You are never walking alone. I am the wisdom that you need. I am the power that you need. I am the voice that you need to listen to. I am the light to walk by. I have a firm foundation for your feet. I am pure and you can trust me. 
And so many people have a hard time trusting Jesus, but he is the ultimate high priest. I want to read this passage to you, and it ties it all together. Hebrews 4, and we're going to read Hebrews 7. Hebrews 4.14, the writer of Hebrews so beautifully describes Jesus as a high priest. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. It's Again, it's the same message to, to, from John. It's like, hold tight, don't give up, endure patiently, because here's why. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Praise God for that. He understands what we go through. He knows what we go through. He walked through fire. And he'll walk through fire with you. And he goes, he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. He knows the way out. He knows how to get free. He knows how to give you freedom. Just come to him. And so let us walk boldly to the throne room of our gracious God, because through Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with the Father. There we receive mercy and find grace to help us when we need it the most. Jesus is there always. And we can endure patiently because he is always with us and forever. Hebrews 7.23 says this about him being there forever. There were many priests on the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But Jesus lives forever, unshakable, unmovable will never be removed. There will not be another agreement. There will not be another covenant. There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. There's not going to be a replacement. His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. You know what that tells me? That when I mess up, God, he sees everything in my life. He sees every intention, every sin, everything in my life. And when the enemy comes in like a flood and says, you're a bad person. This is, how can you be thinking that way? Why are you doing this? You're, you're, you're condemned. You're going to go to hell forever. Jesus is beside saying, no, he's with me. Like he is covered under my blood. I paid his price. He is with me. I'm the high priest. I have to say so. Not you, not your voice, not your words. Jesus is the high priest. He's interceding for us. It's a beautiful picture. And he's the kind of high priest we need because he's holy and blameless. He's not like man. He's not like man. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. The law-appointed high priests who are limited by human weakness. Jesus has no weakness. He is the strong and firm foundation. His feet are fit to stand next to. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son had been made perfect, the perfect high priest forever. Forever. Look, he walks among us. He walks in the churches. He walks with you individually. He walks with you through fire. He walks with you, and he's with you. I don't know what you need today. Maybe you need comfort. He can give you comfort. Maybe you need peace. He is the prince of peace. You need correction. Let his words cut you. Let him remove the dead things from your life. You need healing. It's in his hands. If you need power, it's in his voice. He will give you strength. If you need stability, grab a hold of his feet. He is the stable thing. If you need protection, let him hold you. Jesus is all we need today. 
And I pray that you grab onto that this morning. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to have the altar team come up as well. I'm going to pray a blessing over you out of Numbers chapter 6. It's the priestly blessing. And maybe for the first time, have a different viewpoint of this blessing as we just got a vision of who Jesus was. And let it speak to you a little deeper. I know it did for me when I read this. And when I'm done praying this prayer over you, we're going to open the altars up. So if you need prayer for anything, please come speak to one of these ministry teams or some in the back as well. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, you've never given your life to him, and he's revealed himself to you, you're like, I need Jesus. I need this Jesus in my life. I'm tired of doing this on my own. It's not working. I need this Savior. I need this person that I can hold on to, this firm foundation. I need this wisdom in my life. I need the one that is pure to purify me. And today you're saying, that's me today. I need that. Then I want you to come and speak with one of these people as soon as I'm done praying with this. They're going to pray with you. They're going to they're help you, and they're going to give you some next steps to follow. And maybe you need healing, whatever you need. Maybe you need comfort, correction, peace. Maybe you need power in your life. Come let one of these people pray for you. And we'll ask the high priest to answer your prayers. So would you receive this this morning? May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In other words, may his presence always be for you and may he give you all that you need. So Father, I thank you for this people. I thank you for what you've done in them and through them. Lord, I thank you for your peace. I thank you, Lord, that you walk among your churches. I thank you, Lord, that you walk among Waterhouse Church, that you hold us and that you place us exactly where we need to go, that you have placed us in a place of influence and a place to shine. And so, Lord, I pray today that we would shine for you brightly wherever we go. Lord, that our light always shines your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.